BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Brandon Thurston from WrestleNomics is up next, and we're going to follow Brandon with John Pollock from Post Wrestling. Thank you, and good afternoon, everyone. But we can't ignore the math, okay? We can't ignore the data. Go on Google Trends, type in your name, then type in mine. You're a straight line. I'm a pyramid. I like the very direct question on that. Television ratings, downward spiral. Buy rates, plummeting. The time is now to turn the math around. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Pollock and Thurston. How was that? Well done. Well done. That was our, uh, well, long-time viewers, so they'll they'll get the reference. But welcome back to Pollock and Thurston, another edition. And I want to make a very clear, broad statement. The scandals involving WWE, Vince McMahon, still super important. And we're going to be discussing Why are we even covering this? Why can't you guys just move on? Just move on. What's the big deal? Well, I think over the next hour, you'll understand what the big deal is. I, I think that most people listening to this understand uh, the big deal. But if you want further context, WrestleNomics Radio, a wonderful mission statement from one Brandon Thurston this past Sunday. If you want uh, clarification, as you have been t- uh, informed by people uh, asking this question, and I will say I will assume most of it is bad faith that it comes from. But if people are honestly asking this question, I think that if you want to summarize why we are still dedicating so much time, I think just in the uh, some of the clips we're going to go through and just the news, like there is just a constant stream of new information that is coming out or uh, past events that are being viewed in a much different light and context now. Yeah, I think this is one of the biggest news stories in years, one of the biggest news stories in wrestling history. And there's new information about it every week. I know we've gotten some comments saying that, well, it's just the same thing every week. If it's, it's, it's not, I mean, in, especially when you consider what the alternative topics would be if we were to talk about the rock and Cody and Roman Reigns, I think there's more new, new information about the, the Vince scandal and, and the things that stream out of it than there is about any other topic that we could possibly talk about, especially if we're talking about the business of wrestling. I mean, we, we could go through all the subset demos of P18 and 49 if you prefer. Um, but, but there's new information about this and new comments every week. Yeah, we have quite a bit to get to uh, on the first half of the show. And then later on, we're going to be joined by Jesse Collings of the Gentleman's Wrestling Podcast. Uh, always a, a great um, a great pool of insight that he brings to the table. So we look forward to having uh, Jesse on as he is. Um, I understand his his handlers are uh, en route bringing him to the uh, the backstage 
behind the scenes of Pollock and Thurston headquarters and the limo is on its way. It is on its way. Yes, yes, we have we have sent our 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 esteemed bodyguards to make sure that Jesse is protected at all cost as he is brought with a with a motorcade to the Pollock and Thurston headquarters. But John Cena, we are going to start off with he. Now it was interesting that you have uh, both John Cena that's on a bit of a media tour as we speak. And Randy Orton was also doing media today because he is going to have his A&E Legends biography airing this Sunday. So he spoke with a couple of outlets. We're going to hear from both of them, starting off with John Cena, who was on with Howard Stern. And this would have been the first time since the Janelle Grant lawsuit was launched that John Cena has addressed uh, Vince McMahon publicly. So we have a few of uh, John Cena's answers and discussing the complicated um a way the complicated way that John Cena is trying to process this latest information about a man that he has claimed as a man he loves and a man that is a mentor to him in Vince McMahon. Yeah, just just to set this up, so he's on Howard Stern, and Howard Stern is bringing bringing this up in in the context of when, and I guess especially in their cases, when or at least Howard Stern's case, when when somebody who you're friends with uh, is accused of very serious allegations uh how do you handle do you remain friends with this person and sort of what what the line is and that, that's sort of how howard stern sets it up and, and cena he's he's telling cena you know it must be complicated for you to deal with this and so here's the first clip that we'll play i don't i don't think it's complicated to talk about i think it's complicated to listen to mm. and that's kind of why i i don't necessarily put a lot of time and equity into it yeah um again i think you you know we there's there's still a long ways to go. Yeah. Uh I'm I can say this. I'm uh, a big advocate of love and friendship and honesty and communication. But in the same breath, I'm also a big advocate of accountability. Yeah, me too. Um I think you explained it well of if someone's behavior lies so far outside your value system that the balance shifts of like, man, I, I can't operate in a world where this works. Yeah. That's, that's the end result of being accountable. But the there's also, you do, though? I, I, so, um, right now what I'm going to do is love the person I love, right. be their friend. And by that, it means like, Hey, I, I love you. Uh, you, you got a hill to climb and you know, there's, um, the saying of like, Hey, you, you, you don't know who you are or you don't know who your friends are until the shit hits the fan or your back's against the wall. That, yeah. that doesn't make any of what's going on any easier to swallow. Right. So that was Howard Stern with John Cena earlier today and John Cena being asked about kind of how he approaches the horrific details in this Janelle Grant lawsuit. And I mean, it's, it is very clear. This is um, John Cena, I think, trying to be as diplomatic as possible to someone he holds in extremely high regard. And I I would certainly take him that he is extremely uncomfortable with what he is seeing and hearing about Vince McMahon. And I just think that you look at this as, to, to me, it's very difficult when you are John Cena and you have this clear admiration for Vince McMahon that he is obviously really struggling to be able to say anything that condemns Vince McMahon as and this is like horrifying stuff that is out there and stating we've got a long way to go well we've got quite a lot 
starting and ending just alone with the text messages that are in this uh, lawsuit. But how did you feel John Cena equated himself with that answer? I think the thing he's getting killed for here is he he's not condemning the allegations. And I think that's something that he could have done and that people wanted to hear Paul Levesque do, you know, just to say whether or not any of this is true, I can't speak to, but if, but the, what, what's alleged here is not something that, that I would ever support or ever, ever be okay with. Um, he didn't mention the victim in, in any part of the, the interview. This is an hour long interview, by the way, they talk about this subject for about five minutes. Um, we're going to play an, another clip um, where he does at least make it sound like he's he, he, in, the, in the clip that we already played. He does make it sound like, I think he's open to writing Vince off completely. Um, I don't know what that line is that he would have to cross, but he's also talking about in, in this interview, the idea that there may be some institutional problem where he starts to talk about the entity WWE. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Let's hear that second clip now from John Cena, because he does go further into, yeah, the culture of WWE and, and his attachment to it, that this is a guy by his very definition has been the poster boy for this company and what it represents. And now coming to light, there's a lot of question and uh, this culture, this entire company is under the microscope of what it does stand for. I don't, I don't think it's complicated to talk about. I think it's the whole thing is super, super unfortunate. Yeah, that's. That's really the thing that sucks because not only does it deal with an individual I love, it deals with an entity that I love. Yeah. And uh, it's one that I speak highly of. And mm -hmm. you want to, you want to make sure everyone, I want everyone to have the experience I had. I want, if you're a, a employee at Disneyland, you want everybody to go to Disney and think it's the greatest place on earth. And when someone doesn't, or when you find out that there may or may not have been things going on there that, you know, this place I was speaking so great about, well, in some aspects needed a lot of work though. That's more than just how do I feel about this person? You know, now I shift to, okay, am I doing all I can to, to make it better? You know, yeah. I, from the advice of like work as hard as you can promote as hard as you can is, is there anything I can do? So not only do I tell my friend, I love them. I also switch to the entity and say, how can I help? Again, that was John Cena speaking with Howard Stern earlier today. And yeah, talking a bit more about kind of the entity of WWE, how he can help. Um, I, I see John Cena, he takes he is taking criticism for not being stern enough, not being hard enough on Vince McMahon. And, and, and I see different sides to that. Number one is that Obviously, there is a, not just a personal relationship, an extremely close personal relationship with Vince McMahon. That said, John Cena carries a lot of weight with what he says. And him uh, being in this position, I think there is a responsibility to uh, hold someone of Vince McMahon's power to account when you are in a public setting on such a setting like this, where you are with a Howard Stern. It is You cannot dismiss the fact that there is a that there is this closeness that these two have, but this is something where I think that you, you have to kind of be held to that account. And I think John Cena is really struggling with that. And I would state that um, when we get to Randy Orton, I think Randy Orton is struggling with that. I think Paul Levesque is struggling with that. We're very much clearly seeing that none of these people have answers. None of them are refuting this. All of them are simply struggling for someone that they have, great great admiration for on a professional level whose personal conduct is 
utterly appalling that is indefensible. Yeah, I I, I think the, the headlines that I've seen coming out off of this interview is that, you know, people are are latching on to the to the comment that he makes about how he loves him sick man, which sort of makes it sound like out of context that that was his response to, to the allegations. I still love him, which is something that he had said, I think the AP um, when the, when the original allegations came out a year and a half ago. Um, but the, I mean, that's something he should be mindful of that, you know, that there's going to be aggregators out there that are going to, you know, focus on something that he says, um, especially that being the first thing that he said related to this issue. So we'll move on to uh, Randy Orton because this um, dovetails off of that. So again, he's promoting his A&E special that's airing this Sunday, and he was interviewed by the New York Post and by Sports Illustrated. And I just have a few of the excerpts here. And he states, I've seen the horrible things online that I don't want to believe because this man has done so many things for me. If it wasn't for him, I wouldn't have been given second and third chances in WWE. I wouldn't be in the position that I'm in now if it wasn't for that man. So part of me wants to not believe it. And then the other part of me understands that he could have done all these wonderful things for me and the business and created this amazing thing that will go on and on well after he's gone. But on the other hand, he's human and he's made some effing terrible mistakes. And he adds, I, I say that he speaks about, um, I think that would be the case for any talent that you ask when it comes to um, kind of. The, the truth of, of the matter here, but I do know about Vince McMahon, the man that I've known for the past 24 years personally, and I owe him for everything he's done for me. I say that with conviction because I won't be in this position without a lot of help from him. But if these allegations are true, then it's some horrible shit right there. I, I'm torn. It's hard. End quote. So, I mean, I, I think a bit more forcefulness from Randy Orton here, but again, like all, all I hear here is just an unbelievable struggle from these people to try and um, rationalize, not even rationalize, that's not the right word, but to um, to convey what is indefensible. And I mean, the line here about, you know, on the other hand, he's human and made some horrible mistakes. I mean, this is that lawsuit. That is not humane treatment. That is not. um those are not mistakes that I would just classify as, you know, human error that, you know, we, we stumble and we learn as we uh, as we progress. Um, but certainly it's I I don't look at these performers as ones that are going to be like the sternest um, adjudicators of Vince McMahon. Like these people are in situations where I think they are they are absolutely coming at it from the professional um riches that they have received as a result of working under this individual and they're in a position though where these are important figures and these are people that i think it's very important that they make a stand that this is not representative of me and this should not be representative of the company but there are a lot of questions to be asked and it starts with vince mcmahon but does not end there and we could point out to the uh, concerning Randy Orton. There's WWE said that they were looking into um, a story that I think Corp Bauer told about how uh, when Corp Bauer was a writer at WWE, it would be sort of a, of a of a hazing tradition for him to expose himself to to writers when early in their tenure or something like that. Um, we don't know what the results, if any, were, were of that investigation that that WWE was you know, looking into. But I, I would say. When it comes to, to John Cena and Randy Orton and, and for a lot of wrestlers and people who have worked in WWE, I, I think that they're not giving themselves enough credit in that. Like if you have any belief in your own ability, which I'm sure they're not, neither of them are short on, um, regardless of whether Vince McMahon was in charge or somebody else was in charge, 
you probably still would have had a successful career. Vince McMahon held the keys and opened the door. Um, and I just think there's sort of a, a collective delusion from a lot of people who work for WWE and under Vince that, that he like generously waved a magic wand over somebody's head to make them a star and to make them rich. Um, I mean, in the case of Orton and Cena, they happened to be two people who, you know, he recognized enough talent in, uh, and he didn't, you know, with his narrow vision of what WWE could be, uh, and the, the control freak tendencies that he had, you know, even as a head of creative, he didn't manage to squander them. And he, he managed to draw a lot of money with them and they brought a lot of value to WWE. It's not just one way. And, you know, and a, a lot of people talk about how, you know, nobody's really a draw anymore and WWE is the brand. Well, well, who, who created that brand? Who created lasting value for WWE? Uh, among them, you know, the, the highest on that list would be would be Randy Orton and John Cena, uh, along with a few others. So it, it's sort of not giving themselves enough credit that, you know, it wasn't Vince that just magically made them into stars and made them rich. They brought their own talents and their own skills to this, and, and they became stars of their own volition as well. Yeah, it's I, – I think where we, we are – like that has been a thread that extends even to what we heard from Bret Hart last week, um, who, I mean, has been like, uh, I would say the, the staunchest, like the hardest uh, when it has come to his just um, utter like lack of faith in Vince McMahon, but still noting the fact that Vince McMahon gave him this incredible life. And that is like embedded in a lot of these performers. And it's even more so those at the higher end, um, but it extends all the way down when you look up and down like that would probably be a consistent trait that many uh, do believe in the sense that they are owing to Vince McMahon. And like the further you go down that that kind of thought process, I mean, it does paint a picture of performers that are grateful to be in this company. And I think you can extrapolate to like reasons that we don't see like public scorn of the company. It, it like you are trained you do not rock the boat you do not upset the norm and this is you don't a, say anything that's going to offend Vince McMahon for sure nothing I mean you can and I wouldn't even say it's it's like the similar structure that we see in the UFC where I mean there's plenty of fighters that are very outspoken at times against UFC and ones that will talk about um, certain controversial issues as it relates to fighter pay and such like WWE like it is from a public standpoint like it is like you are on message when you're out there. And I think that a lot of it, it's just, this is a job that I do not want to compromise. And it's like my, I, I am lucky to be here. And I think some of that sometimes is not uh, equally distributed in terms of the value that these performers present to their given spots on, on a card, especially with two shining examples here in a John Cena, Randy Orton. It's something I've been seeing on Sunday the last couple of weeks, I think, is that the the thing that people will still protect, you know, we've sort of we're, we're past uh, the, the 80s and 90s where people were protecting whether or not wrestling matches were, were not predetermined. Uh, but the thing that people will still protect is that, you know, Vince is, was, especially towards his latter years as head of creative at WWE, they would still protect the, the notion that Vince is a genius and Vince is this great creative mind. And it's just... I don't, it, it, I mean, look, he's gone now and the, the business improved in a number of ways. Uh, for that matter, Kevin Dunn is gone now and, and the production has improved. It's, 
it's the thing that people still protect. And it's, it's part of this story where you have people, at least, you know, today you have John Cena and Randy Orton hesitant to, to really uh, condemn what he's done or condemn what he's alleged to have done even. Um, so, yeah. We'll move over to um, Ashley Banfield, who had Paul Roma on her show earlier this week. And this goes back to kind of just looking at a culture within the WWF. Paul Roma's time in the WWF uh, goes back to the mid 80s. Um, when he was there, both as a singles performer and a tag wrestler and wrestling there until 1991 and made the allegations that male talent was propositioned uh, during that time, including a former tag partner of his in, in uh, response discussing uh, his partner, one of his partners, uh, Jim Powers. So we have a just a brief clip here from Paul Roma. This was on uh, Ashley Banfield's show earlier this week. And my former partner, uh, one of my former partners, uh, when I was part of the uh, Young Stallions, uh, he was propositioned. And um, he said he went to one of the agents and told them what had happened. And I said, well, why would you do that? You, you just ratted on, on both of us. These are all allegations. We have to be very clear about this. Um, but Correct. your friend and former business partner, Mario Mancini, spoke with us the other day and said he knows of at least one incident from years ago that's even worse than some of the yes. worst allegations in Janelle Grant's lawsuit. Do you know yes. what that incident is, and can you tell me tonight? I, I, um, I, I really shouldn't right now. Um, but, yes, I do know what it is, and it is worse. Can you? Can you characterize it in any way? Um, just that Mario and I are really surprised. We spoke about it, and we're surprised that no one has come forward. But on the flip side, I think that, you know, they're of an age now that, you know, they may be married, have kids, and they don't want to open Pandora's box. And I, I can't blame them. And I, told, I said that to Mario. Can you blame them? Do you, would you really want to open this up, this, this can of worms? No, you wouldn't want to open it up. So this, um, Paul Roma discussing incidents in, in the 80s in the, in the WWF locker room of male talents being propositioned with the idea that this would be a quid pro quo where you could, you know, essentially you acquiesce and that could mean things for your career. And, and then also this, Allegation from Mario Mancini that Paul Roma backs up of something even more horrific that, I mean, Paul Roma was very careful here. He was not naming names. And I think you saw certainly just in his demeanor as well was being very careful too in, in what he said, what he did not say and kind of leaving it at that. But it leads, it leaves you with a lot of just this, this continual light that is being shined on a culture beyond just um, one or two individuals. Yeah. He's, he's talking about Mario Mancini, who people might remember uh, not only it was a, a sort of a job or wrestler right back in the eighties, but he was also the more, more recently in the news. He was a person who came forward to corroborate uh, Rita Chatterton's allegations. She, you know, Rita Chatterton told him, I believe the next day about the alleged rape that had occurred uh, in the back of uh, Vince's limousine in 1986. So, He's, uh, he's someone who's, who's been a part of this, uh, this story uh, over the last year and a half. We also had um, Lee Cole did an interview this week with uh, a ring boy that came public who was just identifying himself by his first name of Sean. 
and giving his account of what happened with him. He was a ring boy from 1986 to 1987. He came into the company when he was about 16 years old. He was out of Philadelphia. And I mean, this was one of the many ring boys under the watch of Mel Phillips, who was a ring announcer for the company and also like the like the ring crew chief that would be in charge of enlisting ring boys and Sean being one of them. And you get this um, this pattern that emerges as well about people that had come from uh, broken families. Sean was in foster care at, at the time and staying on the road with Mel Phillips at times they would they would frequently be in the same room together depending on how many ring boys were there sometimes sharing a bed together and then getting into uh, you know sexual abuse that went down uh, from Mel Phillips but this would be another ring boy that is at least going on the record about this and the question of others that could be out there as well we know of Tom Cole who is deceased he took his life in 2021. We knew of the name Chris Lose from the San Diego Union Tribune and um, and now this individual uh, as well. Did he rent a room for you to be in with him? Yeah, we, we'd stay in the same room. And did you have separate beds or was it like a king-size bed? Or I think it depended on how many people were with us. And when did you start feeling uneasy about how a grown man would act around you? Uh, Is there something that sent you signals that was like, wait a minute, something's not right here? Well, I mean, the the one thing, Mel had this thing about uh, your feet, so he would, like, wrestle you and grab your toes and bend them and stuff, and I was, you know, then you'd be like, ah, you know, He's trying to make me submit to, you know, this wrestling hold or whatever. So that's really where it started. Well, the FBI eventually got a video uh, of a ring boy, and uh, Mel was playing with the ring boy's feet, uh, foot. It was being right. filmed. Uh, and um, he said Mel used to try to take the foot and put it between his groin. And put it between his like, yeah. He would do that. Oh, he would do that. And yeah, or he'd and, sit uh, on top, almost sit on. Yeah, I'm almost sitting on my legs, pulling my my toes and stuff. So this is consistent with other stories that you've heard come out uh, regarding Mel Phillips, and uh, I don't even know what you. Uh, how you react to uh, these clips other than, you know, another person that is uh, coming forward on this. And what was interesting is that legal did a follow-up the day after in regards to response to this interview. And let's just hear, this is a very short clip from Lee Cole, just about the response he got. This is just like 24 hours after this interview airs. But Billy, yesterday, uh, when I got done with the show yesterday, I went back and checked my email. I had a slew of emails from people who are claiming things happened to them. Why do you think people are reaching out to me like this? It's it, When we did the first lawsuit back in uh, 92, it wasn't like this. I mean, I literally, all these people giving me their names about, they want to talk to me about what happened. And I'm like, wow, are you kidding me? I mean... And a lot of these seem very legitimate. Uh, it was even a couple wrestlers. So that's just like 24 hours after this of 
like it, it does give you the, the sense, Brandon, that there are a lot of people that seem to be focused on this and are revisiting their, their own experiences and, and how many more would be willing to come forward. If you take Lee Cole here, it would, it would seem like it's not an insignificant number that are now willing to speak when, you know, it seems like there's a lot more attention on this than in years and decades past. And, and that's the circumstances of how he, he connects with the person who's ad- identified just as Sean. This is not somebody who uh, Lee or, or Tom Cole knew contemporaneously, at least for sure. There is a little bit of discussion in, in the interview about maybe I ran in, into Tom Cole at the time, but they're, they're not even sure. Um, but he does seem credible. So it, my point is, it's not as if this was somebody that they knew back in the day that they've been in touch with, but this is somebody who reached out to, to Lee Cole in light of this news. Um, but he does come across as credible. And um, you know, he had dates that, I mean, just doing a basic, like, um, th- there's like the Kamala and, and Hulk Hogan it. match that he mentions in, in Baltimore. And you, you can find a record of that on cage match in the, in the timeline. This, is, know, a, this is, is a February 14th, 1987 yeah. double shot in Philadelphia and Baltimore, the same day, including a cage match where uh, Sean alleges he was ringside for holding the belt. I mean, that like it backs up, like it, it did seem like he was um, kept some kind of diary or notes uh, contemporaneously of the time of his itinerary, where he was came off very credible to me in this interview. So, um, and, and, and another thing that the Lee is trying to get across in the course of the interview is that he was taken across state lines. These were underage boys and that that would be, I believe a violation of the man act to br- bring under, you know, children across state lines to do labor in the first place before we even get to sexual misconduct by uh, the former ring announcer who is, um, what's his name? What's the ring announcer's name? Mel Phillips, Mel Phillips. Yes. Yeah. I, I think all of this is, like the more people hear these stories and how it connects to what was known at the time and what was, you know, uh, as much as we're looking at sort of these allegations of sexual abuse in the company, we're also seeing like how much knowledge there was. And that's where you look at this Ashley Massaro story and the extent of which they went on the record, denying any knowledge of this, that, feels like has been debunked rather soundly from various sources, not the least of which is John Laurinaitis, who was a high ranking official at the time. But Brandon, I think like the fact that that statement is so definitive that they put out in 2019, denying any knowledge of this, how do you not question so much of when the company has stated, we have investigated this, but no results or put out a statement that exonerates themselves. And that is what is, what a lot of people rest upon as confirmation that nothing is there or that this was refuted by the company. I think you have to approach everything with a skeptical eye when you see such a statement as we did in 2019 that just does not hold any water with what has been thrown against it over these last couple of weeks. Well, I mean, clearly this was an issue from the top down. We have four NDAs that that Vince's had women agree to. Uh, we have all the detailed allegations in the Janelle Grant lawsuit, the Rhea Chatterton allegations. I mean, clearly this was the CEO of the company was allegedly, uh, you know, engaged in a, in a series of, of, of incidents to say the least that, you know, may have involved uh, sexual misconduct. So it's not that surprising that they, that PR would get out, give out statements saying they looked into something when maybe they didn't that seriously at all. So that brings us up to uh, the present. Was there kind of any other um, 
elements just that you've observed over uh, several of these stories uh, as well, Brandon, and as it relates to what we've been discussing? I mean, are there any like kind of new wrinkles that, that you're looking at that have caught your attention in a kind of a different context here? No, I, I, I think we should probably explain why we're including you know, why the, the Ring Boy scandal is, is relevant at this time. And I know we did this, the show two weeks ago with Bix, with David Bix and Span talking about this. It's, it just shows an overall history and, and pattern of, you know, not, not being that, uh, against sexual traffic, you know, sex trafficking, sexual misconduct of various kinds across the history of this company, not taking it that seriously. And then ultimately in the last, at least in the last 15 years or so, we have a number of, alleged incidents involving Vince himself, involving the CEO of the company perpetuating this kind of thing. And I think one of the um, really important details that was sort of dug up when David Bixenspan did his piece for Business Insider was the fact that Mel Phillips was let go by the company in 1988. And it was in... And he was brought back. It was, you know, that he had this unnatural relationship an unusual an unusual um relationship with young boys and then brought back with the provision of steering clear of young boys like that's unconventional rape yeah and so like you're looking at that and that was reported at the time by phil mushnick uh by dave Meltzer, and was sort of just the detail that is lost to time and then when the ring boy scandal emerges in 1992 and mel phillips is, is one of the people that is implicated in in that entire thing it makes you go back to this story in 1988 like not only like was this person right under your nose there was clear knowledge uh, of what was happening here and And in in, in terms of the credibility of their statements we have uh reports by phil moshnick and dave meltzer of vince admitting he has knowledge to some extent yeah this was on the record this is not like Unnamed sources at WWF conveyed this to the this was Vince McMahon on the record with these two in Phil Mushnick and Dave Meltzer stating this about. And then and then he goes on Larry King and denies that he's ever even heard rumors of this. This was an occasional day laborer. Yes. Yes. Occasional laborer. That's all. So I get again like this is painting a broader picture of like a scandal, the likes of which the 1992 ring boy. Um, events, how they occurred, and this company coming out of it, that you would think this would be a reckoning that, my God, what we got past here would be a clean sweep of the culture of this company and that how damaging this could have been for most companies out there. And instead, we are just seeing countless stories that seem to be making its way publicly, finally, that is getting some um, spotlight on that tells you the opposite in terms of a company that just seemed to feel that it was untouchable. And that started right from the top down that the greatest risk being realized could be settled with money that we could make any problem go away. And we're seeing a continued series of events that go back to that thesis statement. And and just to to lay out the timeline. So the Rita Chatterton allegation of of rape by Vince is 1986. The ring boy scandal is, is happening around the same time. I imagine that goes over the course of years involving Mel Phillips. Uh, Tom Cole is later than 86, 87, which is the, the time that, that Sean is there. Um, yeah, they just miss it, each other 
according to like the timeline Sean has, where Tom Cole, he had two stints with the company, the first of which ended in 1986 when he was 16 and having his problems and then comes back to the company in 92. So, um, well, he, he came back actually and was, and then left after, uh, 1990. That's when he was fired after, you know, the incident with, with Terry Garvin that he, uh, had outlined as well. So, so that's what, what, what I want to just want to get to briefly is that Vince is overseeing the bring boy scandal and it looks like not doing enough to, to prevent it, to stop it, to react to it. Um, what we have now in, in this more modern story is in the lawsuit filed by Janelle Grant, at least four W corporate officers with knowledge of the, uh, of, of the relationship between Vince and Janelle Grant, which in, in itself, even if they are not aware of the sexual assault that is alleged to, to have been involved in that, you still have knowledge of basically an entry-level employee having, having a relationship with the CEO of the company, which should set some alarm bells off. Um, so those, and I've been rereading the complaint lately. I'm not sure. It, it's not clear why. The, the corporate officer number four leaves. Maybe it's because he, he did have some objections, but you've got at least three, if not four executives who are alleged to have knowledge who did not do something to stop it. At this point, we're going to welcome in uh, Jesse Collings to the conversation from the Gentleman's Wrestling Podcast. Jesse, thanks a lot for joining us. And uh, I know you've been uh, you've been listening vigorously here. Um, I'm just going to start off. There's many different ways of which we can uh, discuss the, the various uh, events going on. How, we, how would you assess some of the, the reaction that we have seen from the WWE talent as it relates to John Cena, Randy Orton, um, Seth Rollins ha, ha, has been asked about this on, on the record as well. How would you state, how did you react to some of their comments and do you see some common threads between the responses? Yeah, I definitely do. I was thinking about this yesterday when I was listening to uh, Paul Roma's interview on News Nation that you guys played earlier. And while I was listening to the Paul Roma interview, I was thinking about how someone like Paul Roma is out here to talk about, you know, sexual abuse that he was witnessing or, or hearing about when he was an active talent in WWE. But we haven't heard too much from like any person of real name value. I think with the exception of Bret Hart, who really went out of his way, I think, to condemn the actions in a way that no other really major star has. Um but I was thinking about that during the Paul Roma interview and I was like, if Paul Roma is seeing stuff and knowing stuff, that would imply that many, many other people uh, in WWF at that time or in the future would have known about something or seen something or had conversations with somebody. It seems very implausible that this was something only a handful of talent were ever even possibly aware of. Um, and I was thinking about that and my conclusion, no, this was yesterday before I heard Cena's comments or, or read Randy Orton's, but my conclusion was like the talent that has real name value, the talent that could still make money in wrestling, whether they're retired or not, is very apprehensive of getting on WWE's bad side. And that still to them includes getting on Vince McMahon's bad side, because even though he's been, we're led to believe that you know he's out of power he had no longer has any authority within that company i think wrestlers especially wrestlers that are still looking to make more money whether that's again retired talent or active talent they're still very apprehensive of going up and, and really 
condemning Vince and saying negative things about these, these actions and uh, even expressing sympathy towards the victims, which in, in my opinion, from what I've seen from pretty much all of these comments, whether it's Seth Rollins or Cody or um, Randy Orton or John Cena, I don't see any real significant and sincere sympathy towards Janelle Grant or any other potential victims that are, you know, it's very much framed around their personal relationships with Vince. And I, I'm going to be very disappointed if this is true. Um, and to me, I think this all stems back from a culture of Vince being in complete control of WWE. And in turn, these wrestlers feeling like Vince McMahon was in complete control of their wrestling careers. And as Brandon mentioned during his response earlier on this episode, the idea that like Randy Orton or John Cena, the only way they could have possibly have made millions of dollars was because of Vince's approval and Vince's belief in them, which to wrestlers of their generation, guys who were coming up in the, um, you know, early 2000s after WCW had closed down and before AEW had arrived. That's kind of true in the sense that WWE was really the only place to make that kind of money. And I think that puts them in a certain frame of reference. And it kind of goes to show like how unique the wrestling industry is. I don't really know of anything else like this where um, one guy can have like one guy's approval is what determines whether or not you make it in an industry or not at all. Like it's one thing to have, like, you know, maybe if you're in movies, there's one director or one studio executive that really believes in you and that gives you a break. But there are other directors and studio executives that could give you a break. If you're a singer, there are other record labels that could give you a break. For people of John Cena and Randy Orton's generation, the sense really is it's just Vince McMahon. If Vince McMahon didn't believe in them, they would have never made it in pro wrestling. Which maybe, as Brandon said, shows a lack of um, confidence on their on their behalf. Um, but to me, it comes across as like again the the reason that Vince McMahon was able to get away with these kind of actions for so long was because he kind of had there was this idea that he had complete control over the professional wrestling industry and who got to make money in the professional wrestling industry and everyone was so afraid to to to, to, to say something against him or to speak out or anything like that. And I think even though he's technically gone, that hold is still over a lot of wrestlers, it's still over a lot of people in this industry that will do whatever they can to to try to protect Vince and, and re- protect WWE. It's almost like they can't even associate it away from themselves. I think John Cena, someone like John Cena probably views an attack on Vince McMahon and an attack on WWE as, a, as a personal attack on him. And he's going to be very defensive about that. Yeah, I think there's a little bit of Stockholm syndrome there. And as far as like people still not being willing to really condemn what's happened here, I think if you look at, you don't know where WWE is in terms of like if I say something that WWE disapproves of, are they going to look, you know, look badly upon me? And that's going to result in me getting fewer opportunities because um, we haven't had a clear, clear message from WWE like separating themselves from from Vince. And you can look at what what Paul Levesque said he would not say hardly anything about it. Um, there's been a statement from TKO about taking the allegations seriously, but that, that is a TKO statement and not a WWE statement. And we don't really get a sense of how Paul Levesque feels about this or how Nikon feels about this. And Nikon has not spoken at all. There's definitely a sense of there being like a new world order in, in WWE post, you know, Vince's resignation or Vince's most recent resignation. And it's definitely 
part of this is probably people unsure kind of how this new management structure is going to react to outspoken criticism of, of Vince um, or perhaps outspoken criticism of the company. Um, I think that one of the major things that we need to look at here is I think that there are wrestlers. Do you think there are people in, like wrestlers in WWE that think Vince is going to come back and be in power in the company? I, as ridiculous as it sounds, Jesse, I'm Probably. sure that there is a healthy percentage that are looking at this. Like they, they've seen who could have necessarily predicted in 2022 that he would return and look at it the same. There's always that thought that no matter what, like this is Vince McMahon is like a cat that is going to land on his feet somehow that I'm sure there is that thought that, um, it's just this, this is the family that has run things. And the idea of Vince McMahon being back in power is not something they're going to shut the door on. Definitely. If, if, if there's a belief to be had or a conspiracy theory to, to, to conjure, you will find wrestlers who believe, who believe in it. Um, as we've discussed though, that situation where Vince did make his comeback in early 2023 was very different because of the voting power that he had then that he no longer has now. Right. But, and, and I agree, like logically it seems much more difficult for Vince to, to, get a path back to power, but there it's, it's, I don't, I think there's this notion that maybe the coast isn't clear yet to bury Vince publicly um, because there's this fear of him coming back into power somehow and him being able to influence the company that would negatively impact careers. And so I think that's something that we probably need to be mindful of and to keep an eye on is perhaps maybe more time goes on and it becomes apparent that Vince really can't get back into power if this is still a story being discussed, and there's probably many, many twists and turns that are going to be coming from it, um, how outspoken criticism within the WWE family or the WWE wrestlers. If he's indicted uh, on criminal charges, what happens then? I think a lot of people will still believe that Vince will beat the rap and he'll be back in power. I, I'm He'll beat the I'm government again. Uh, yeah, I mean, because he's, I mean, look. He looked like, 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 as John said, like he looked like he was gone for good and just, just a year ago and, or just two years ago in 2022 and he came back. Um, so I'm sure there's a belief there that, that he's going to be back in power or, you know, there's still a lot of people that have tremendous loyalty to Vince that are in very prominent positions in the company, um, who are probably going to be very defensive of Vince's legacy and Vince's image. And those are people you might not want to make up, uh, upset if you're a talent, uh, by being an outspoken critic of it. Um, and so I think there's that whole dynamic in play too, that Vince's tentacles go far beyond just Vince's presence. Um, it's one of the aspects to the Ashley Massaro case that has either not been focused on enough or has been misconstrued is her, her message that she sent to WWE in, in 2018. And for those like that read the language, nowhere in there is she, recanting her uh, admissions to the company or or walking back her allegations what it told we're me talking is, about ashley massaro right yes yes with ashley massaro okay. is that here is a company that has a vacuum of power that if you want to work in this industry this is the company that you need to be on good terms with and that's what i think most people that that read it that was your takeaway that even through this awful traumatic event this is ashley massaro that is trying to foster some kind of relationship with this company for preservation of remaining in this industry in some capacity. Yeah. And I think and it's really interesting that the timing of that email, which is just before W evolution happens, I could see her, you know, 
seeing a lot of her peers getting booked on on that show and wanting to get booked on it too. So that I could see that as a motivation for why she reached out at that time. And this speaks to a lot of problems within the wrestling industry that go beyond just, you know, Vince's sexual misconduct. One of the reasons you have these, you know, older or retired wrestlers who are, you know, still showing a lot of loyalty and fealty to the company that maybe doesn't deserve it is because they're looking for that one more payday because these are people that maybe don't have tons of other ways to get income after they retire or after they're done wrestling for whatever reason, they get released by the company. They're people that, uh, I don't know, they're, they have probably most of them have really significant medical issues in terms of their physical shape and probably have high medical bills. They don't have a guaranteed source of income. They perhaps didn't get, um, you know, proper job training or, or things that would allow them to succeed post wrestling. Uh, the, the wrestlers association provides them with uh, health insurance and a pension though, right? Well, I was going to get to that Brandon in the sense that like, yeah, if they had a pension or they had something like that, that would allow that protect them. They would be there would be less reliance on constantly trying to remain in WWE's good graces. And WWE has been able to, and especially Vince have been able to, get a lot of people who said a lot of mean things about them back into the fold and to say nice things about them. And, and honestly, Bret Hart is a perfect example of that. Bret Hart should have every example, uh, every reason in the world to never want to say anything nice about Vince McMahon ever again. Yet he said quite a few nice things about Vince McMahon over the last 20 years. And I think part of that is because, you know, he need he's looking at, okay, how do I, you know, I want things from them. I think, didn't he like, he did the Hall of Fame because he wanted like control over his video library or something like that. Didn't he want? Wasn't there he a part did of the, that? The like, DVD under the belief that they were going to do another Warrior DVD and, and just bury him. Right, right. So like, there's this whole all this leverage that comes into play um, that leads people out. You know, I was really I, I, don't, I don't see a lot of people have have talked about it since then. And it was a couple of weeks ago. So really, really disappointed in Mick Foley's comments about how like, oh, these are terrible allegations, but I hope that doesn't take away anyone's good memories of the Mr. McMahon and the character and all the good times me and his character had together. I thought that was hugely disappointing from Mick, not only just because it's, it's disappointing of any, you know, major pro wrestler, but also I know, you know, Mick has, has, I don't know if he still is, um, but he served on the board of rain, which was uh, a, um, a sexual assault survivors advocacy group. Um, for a long time, he's done a lot of charity for that. And for him, of all people, to kind of have this, you know, oh, Vince, you know, I hope this doesn't ruin his legacy. And I was like, I hope it does ruin his legacy. This is an awful person if you believe these allegations. Um, and so, I, and, but again, I think that comes back to, I just, we got to be, remain. the industry has taught all of these people to remain on Vince's good side, no matter what, no matter what he does, no matter what you see, no matter what he does to you personally. Don't criticize the brand, protect WWE, protect Vince at all costs. That's just kind of institutionally what's been taught to wrestlers for the last 40 years. Um, and it's a shame. We focus a lot, and because they are the ones being asked about this, we focus a lot on like what what current talents or past talents are, are how they are holding Vince McMahon accountable. We'll look at uh, fan support. I mean, the company's business is red hot. You have to look no further than this past weekend's house shows. But like strangely absent from this discussion is as we pull up the old Snickers doctrine, like what is the accountability that your sponsors, that your broadcasters, that TKO as a whole are, are due in all of this in terms of like, these are the entities that can 
meaningfully push for answers for a degree of transparency, which TKO and WWE have been held to basically no transparency beyond this. Like they have like TKO put out their statement. Vince is gone. And that's pretty much been the extent of it. And the most meaningful change came as a result of like Slim Jim that was willing to put their relationship on pause. Like these are the outlets I'm looking at that they can, they can meaningfully uh, push forward if they were so compelled to, to investigate further. And if I could just inter- interject on that, I think we have the TKO call this coming Tuesday. That will be Ari Emanuel and Mark Shapiro, who, who are the, the TKOC uh, executives. And I've, I've been looking at the, the equity analysis that I have access to in terms of these are the people who are, who are analyzing TKO stock. And I haven't seen a, one report yet that mentions the Vince lawsuit to, to give you some idea of how people who analyze the stock are looking at this in terms of, is, is it any threat to the business? Yeah. I mean, I think for starters, the only people that can really make TKO and WWE do anything meaningful are going to be those major business partners, whether they're sponsors or the television networks or Netflix or who, the people that are really part major business partners. I don't think fans have like uh, the motivation, the unity, or even the, the universal understanding uh, to really make appropriate change. Uh, so, but I think it does come down to whether sponsors want to be associated with this company, whether TV networks and their major broadcast partners want to be associated with this company. And I think for now, they're surviving, right? Uh, they, they got rid of Vince. I, I think that the Slim Jim sponsorship, I think they were very afraid that that was going to be the first of many, many dominoes to fall if Vince wasn't a part of it anymore. And they were able to, uh, you know, kind of quickly, you know, push Vince out the door and say, bad man gone, right? Isn't that um, what the, uh, was that? I forget who was. was the, the, Netflix, uh, the Netflix executives, her comment was basically, he's gone now and he's he's out, so he's gone. Something, you know, very. Yeah. Despite the fact that. that Vince again is not the only person named in that lawsuit. It's also named John Laurinaitis, who's also gone conveniently, um, but also WWE as, as a whole. But the idea is right now, the, the line is, you know, Vince was this bad person and he's gone. Everything's fine. And until they are really pushed further by a business partner, that's the only way we're going to get consistent change. I think um, I was talking about this with someone else the other day. And it's like, what do, what do I actually want to happen? Like, what do I want out of this? Um, and as a wrestling fan, it was like, I want the wrestling industry to be better. And I want there to be accountability for everyone that was associated with not just the crimes, but knowledge of them and the knowledge of the abuse that was going on and the people who failed to do something about it. And I think that can only really be done at the very least without like a really intense investigation um, into the current WWE structure and executives that are in WWE and all of that. And we haven't heard, I think, anything from TKO or anyone in WWE that like an investigation is going on to see who knew what. Um, that should be happening number one. And I, I think, think they would tell you that their, their board had an investigation and that was that. Right. The board was investigating. Yeah, okay. Well, that has some other questions associated with it as well. Um, and then the other thing I would really like to know, and I know, you know, in the, in the aftermath of this, Paul Levesque was asked about it during the Royal Rumble press conference. I believe, you know, Shawn Michaels was also asked about it uh, during the NXT press call a couple of weeks ago, but you know, has talent, 
what is what has been communicated to talent? I know um, Dave Meltzer at least reported a couple of weeks ago in the Wrestling Observer newsletter that talent really hadn't been talked to about this. They got that email from Nick Khan saying Vince is gone, and that's pretty much the amount of communication that's gone to them about this. But our talent There's going been to no give communication it- to staff either about this. Yeah. So, our, 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 yeah, and that's a great point because Janelle Grant was, wasn't was a talent. She was a staff member. So, And I specifically asked, have, has there been any message beyond he's resigned? And, and I was told no. <laughs> right. So is the company really going to do anything to investigate what was going on here? Are they going to do anything further to actually protect the people that work there? And so far, it seems like the answer is no. Well, those are questions that should definitely be asked, whether they're going to be at this, these, uh, you know, press conferences after pay-per-view events, whether they're in, in media interviews, whether it's going to be the TKO, um, analyst call, like something like that has to be asked because that's ultimately the, like, what are some benefits that can come from this horrible situation? It's like, well, we can get rid of the bad people and change our structure around. So this doesn't happen again, but it doesn't seem like TKO or WWE is particularly interested in that. And if I was a media partner with them, I would be very concerned about future stories breaking. I I think right now, everyone in that company, WWE and probably TKO as a whole, and even like Netflix, they're all, all on the hands and knees praying that there's no other major Wall Street Journal story. There's no other, you know, information that's going to come out that's going to show that more people knew about this. That's going to continue to taint their brand. They're hoping desperately that the story is just going to go away, and there's no other shoe to drop that's going to bring up all this news again. And I feel like that's a very bad strategy. Um, but I'm also not a person who made a five billion dollar investment in WWE without probably <laughs> doing some some due diligence or, or understanding that this was a potential risk. And how would you how would you assess that WWE? Are, are you surprised at all, Jesse? That you know this this lawsuit was uh, launched on January the twenty fifth. We are now almost a month removed. Do you still view this that this is a top of mind story? Like, how would you assess sort of the um, the oxygen that the story has been provided uh, across the board, and the fact that we're four weeks in? Like, is this surprising to you, or is this? Uh, just your overall thoughts on just the the coverage that this has received this many weeks into a story like this, where this is an industry where typically like stories like this, people move on from at a, a pretty quick clip. I, I, I mean, I think it's really important and valuable that we've seen some major news outlets and organizations not only you know, report on this once, but continue to follow up and dig through information. I think, um, what's his last name? Tim Marchman. Is that his yes. last name? Yep. Yes. Tim Marchman advice is obviously doing tremendous journalism work, continuing to, to find new information, talking to more people, getting quotes and, and other information and keeping that, you know, top of mind, at least to, to people who are reading vice. I think like Banfield and, and, and News Nation who have broken, you know, and had pretty, some pretty significant interviews, just like the Paul Roma one that we saw. Those are organizations that can do a lot of work. Um, the Wall Street Journal, obviously, for the last year and a half, has been doing a ton of work and trying to break those stories. Um, so I'm, I'm happy that there's a commitment to uh, following up on some of these issues. And as we're starting to see with this, you know, the Mel Phillips thing has been brought up again. The Ashley Massaro thing has been brought up again. I, we're probably going to get a major thing on the Nancy Argentino story from one of these major outlets in the next few weeks. That wouldn't surprise me at all. 
we as you know wrestling fans and people that know the history know that there is almost an endless supply of controversies, scandals, things that were probably swept under the rug associated with Vince McMahon and WWE. And if a major news outlet wants to continue to look for them, they're going to be able to find them. And it's just about, I think, increasing that pressure on WWE to change. Um, it starts with media coverage, starts with people being concerned about it, starts with, you know, press relations and things like that. And hopefully that spills over into the people that can really make something happen, which are the major business partners. To either of you, what kind of um, coverage do you expect over the next few days? WWE is holding this press event on Thursday night in Perth ahead of Elimination Chamber. Uh, presumably, they'll be doing a, a press conference after the show. I don't know if that's confirmed or not. Um you know, the Thursday one, I mean, I would be led to believe this is going to be closer to the pep rally we saw in Las Vegas rather than a press conference-like setting where you might Or like be... they, they did the press events before the Backlash show in, in Puerto Rico and the, mm -hmm. and the stuff that they've right. done before the, the Saudi show. Saudi Arabia, yeah. For me, it's hard to tell just because I have no idea what the media presence is going to be there. Um, I imagine there'll be almost none of the same people that were attending uh, the Royal Rumble press. Are you going, Brandon? No, no. Paul Levesque looked around the room at the end of the last uh, press conference, if you didn't, if you missed it. And he said, I, I assume uh, I'll see none of you in Perth. So, yes, they, they literally could not have picked a, a further away location to run this this event than Perth, Australia. I imagine it's going to be a lot of local media. Um, I imagine this is a major event. Uh, for Perth, they don't get an enormous. Are we sending Dickie of, Bird, John? Uh, they didn't get a, a, an enormous amount of of international events, although they're you know they're a large city. Um, but I, I don't expect. I, I'm my expectations are extremely low. Um, I do wonder if there's local media there, like you know the major news outlets that cover Perth and Western Australia, are going to. Uh, be asking questions about Vince or, or the current scandals, because I think I'm sure that they're aware of that. Um, I, I've been, I'm really interested in kind of the, the, like um, the, you know, whoever is, is paying, Brennan, do you know who's paying the site fee for this event? Like what authority is, is paying for that? I think it's the, is it the province that Perth is in? Western Australia. I think so like the Western Australia tourism board or something like that. Um, someone is paying for this event to happen um, and they're using Australian tax dollars to do it. So I'm very curious to know if politicians are going to be questioned. I, I know of some people that have written to their politicians saying, how did you, why did you spend taxpayer money on, you know, bringing in this wrestling show with this tainted company? Um, but I'm kind of curious to know if there's pressure on them because that's kind of another wrinkle to this, right? WWE really wants to be able to sell these shows and these events to uh, metropolitan areas and cities and, and, and different countries and things like that. And that's kind of another major business partner that's getting into play. And unlike say Netflix or um, Slim Jim or whoever their other major sponsors are, they're using public money to do that, right? We're going to use, I think, you know, we're going to use, if we're in Nashville, we're going to pay for a site fee to, to bring, you know, SummerSlam to, to our state football stadium. That's using public money. And that gives the members of the public, you know, at least some more credibility and voice to say like, wait, should we really be spending our money on, on this, this company and giving this guy money? Um, I think that's kind of interesting because it's, it's, 
adding an additional business partner um, that has a public voice to it. There's also the question I would say that's interesting is is that of Dwayne Johnson, who not only is going to be promoting WrestleMania this year, but you have the, the UFL launch. Um, like he, he is someone that is going to be pretty public over these next few months. And this is a guy that doubles as a board member now. Um, again, my of the media that Dwayne Johnson is going to be doing, um, my expectation level of him being um, asked about these topics is very low. Um, but he's going to have a, a more significant profile um, as he is in the promotion of the, these various events that are coming up in the next two months. Yeah, I mean, my, one of my just theories on like why the the creative around this WrestleMania main event and Cody winning the Rumble and challenging Roman and then giving the shot to The Rock and then not maybe giving the shot to The Rock. Uh, one of my theories is just that The Rock was kind of hesitant to see what kind of reaction WWE was going to get after this Vince scandal broke. And then maybe through some creative plans in flux to kind of wait to see, Oh, do I actually want to associate with this company right now? They seem pretty hot um, in terms of, of, of speculation that's placed on them. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's, he's, look, he's on the board. He is a public, he's the public face of the company in a lot of ways. He's certainly the most famous person associated with the company and he is putting himself back into, you know, the public sphere as a WWE spokesperson by being on the board. So he absolutely should probably be asked about this. Um, I'm sure he has a prepared answer for that. Um, but uh, in, it's, I, it's a win, I guess, for, um, WWE in the sense that they can kind of push Vince out and then replace him with The Rock, who people are under the assumption that he's kind of like a universally beloved figure. Um, and he's obviously. What do you, what do you think of the timing of Rock joining the board? Just, I mean, two days before the lawsuit comes out. If there's any any knowledge of of the lawsuit about to come. That well, I think. Yeah, I mean, The Rock joining the board seemed like kind of a joint announcement with the Netflix deal, right? If I'm remembering correctly, it was like an hour apart. Yeah, yeah. So I think their idea was like, this is going to be our big day. We're going, we're going to Netflix, and look, The Rock is going to be back, and The Rock is going to be part of our company. Um, I guess I, I tend to side on that being coincidental. Now, perhaps they knew it was, you know, the story's coming out, and we got to get this this news out first to do it. Um, I just can't imagine they're putting Vince front and center at that New York Stock Exchange photo op if they have that kind of knowledge that this guy's going to be radioactive in two days or even in the immediate future, even if they don't know the date that this is coming. It just I'm kind of with you, Jesse. I think that like that makes for a theory, but one that I'm just I'm, I'm not touching Vince McMahon in that kind of a setting. And and if I'm Dwayne Johnson having like this, this photo op with, with Vince McMahon right before this is all about to come down. Yeah. I, mean, I would just I, say, I, mean, I would like to ask a lawyer, like how we got a 67 page complaint here. How likely is it that at least two days prior to that complaint being filed? Is it that the defendants would have knowledge of that complaint coming out? Yeah. yeah. It's, it's a fair question. It's, it's one that could, could certainly could be, could be raised. Yeah. I mean, I think they definitely knew the complaint was going to come out. Um, I bet you they knew that the Wall Street Journal was doing an article on it. Too. I imagine Wall Street Journal reached out to WWE within two days um, of the story being published, a story that big. Um, so I, I imagine they had knowledge of it. Um, it just comes down to, uh, like you said, John, like having Vince front and center. Um, and then just two days later, <laughs> noting that he was going to be this radioactive. Obviously, maybe they didn't quite 
you never know how big this stuff is going to hit. That story could have hit and nobody talked about it again, like and kind of swept under the rug. It ended up getting a lot of traction and a lot of mainstream publicity, um, which certainly helped. I would be really interested in knowing from the Wall Street Journal perspective um, if there, you know, they were obviously to me working on the story well before the, the Netflix announcement was made official. Uh, so I'd be curious to know if they saw they've been, you know, we had this story, we've been working on it. We've been working on it for a while. We've talked to, to, you know, the victim's lawyer and all that. And they saw, you know, WWE in the news and they saw Vince McMahon at, at, at the New York stock exchange. Um, and they were like, okay, WWE's big now. They're in the news. This is the perfect time to, for us to drop this bombshell of a story. Because um, people are already going to be searching WWE, Googling Vince McMahon, all that kind of stuff from, from an SEO optimization point. It was the perfect time to release that story when people were already talking about WWE at a very accelerated rate. You also have the Royal Rumble coming around, which you know is also a great time to cover WWE because, again, people are going to be searching for WWE. It's going to be trending on social media. It's a great way to get eyeballs on whatever you're doing. Well, the lawsuit was filed the same day. Like they clearly got a heads up in terms of like I couldn't mm-hmm. find it on Pacer. <laughs> I had to go into the what, you know the the Connecticut District Federal Court to find it, but unless they coordinated that with with the, the plaintiff. And there's also the idea that even if they have knowledge that a suit could be forthcoming, could they have possibly imagined the level of detail that would be in this suit? And just having the belief that listen, this is we we've already covered this story, like we. We got through it once. This is just going to be a rehash of what came out two years ago and not having any idea just how detailed this would be. That would just put this quote unquote consensual relationship, as uh, as Jerry McDivitt put it, um, putting into context that this was anything but and getting into every graphic detail imaginable. Right. And having things like the text messages in there and, and all that kind of stuff. I mean, this was out of all of the scandals that have threatened to rock WWE and have hurt WWE. This was among the most compelling examples in terms of evidence that they had. I mean, this was a 67 page document with an incredible amount of detail about Vince and their relationship and comments by Vince and the, obviously the shared text messages and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah, and the and the text alone, I think that was such a dead ringer for so many people that I mean that's like at the core of this. It's like if you can't dispute the text messages, I mean that's and, and those texts have not been disputed at not at one time with the text messages disputed by even you know Vince's attorneys when they commented on it. I think um and I know that people have said people that are familiar with have texted with Vince in the past, you know, could tell his texting style and the some of the words he was using and the abbreviations and things like that, people were, you know, oh, that's, that was definitely, that's definitely how Vince texts. That's, I mean, I believe that's Brett that that's, uh, you know, convinced that that, 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 are, that sounds like Vince, these are Vince something texts, to that yeah. effect. Yeah. Have either of you been aware of the latest uh, Dwayne Johnson slash seven bucks productions um, film that is going to be going into development? I saw that today. It's on uh, Ric Flair. This will be a biopic on Ric Flair uh, to be determined when it comes out. But, uh, Johnson provided the following comment to the rap to give you a a sense of uh, what this will be. 
As a kid who grew up, grew up in professional wrestling, I idolized the nature boy, Ric Flair, Johnson told the, the rap. He was a hero to me. And once I broke into the wrestling business and began to spill my own sweat and blood, my reverence for Rick turned to respect because I realized just how rare and impossible it is to disrupt the wrestling business culture and truly change the game. And that's exactly what Ric Flair did. This project is personal and we can't wait to tell his unbelievable story. As always, thank you for the house, Rick. Uh, I like how the photo was credit, credited as Ric Flair with a K. Is that a different Ric Flair who happened to have that oh, photo? Dear. Flair? Oh, dear. The rap. Come on. I mean, you got a, a bit of a, an error right there. Off, yeah, off the top. I think I think someone pointed this out to me, like in the press release that was sent out, probably by like Seven Bucks Entertainment. It mentioned that Ric Flair is still actively wrestling and is currently signed to All Elite Wrestling at, at the age of 74. That's right. I mean, um, and look at that and performed in front of a record breaking crowd in North Korea. I mean, that's, that's just the, 190,000 uh, people were there. By the time this film comes out, it could be double, uh, yeah. for, for, based on that comment from Dwayne Johnson. I think this is going to be a very glowing love letter to Ric Flair that we can expect in a biopic form, but there you go. That is the latest. Well, um, Jesse, um, tell us a little bit about kind of, a. What, what you're going to be looking at in, in the near future on the Gentleman's Wrestling Podcast. Do you have any uh, guests lined up or uh, you've dedicated a couple of shows uh, to this, including a really great look uh, with, with Trevor Dame recently about sort of the, the coverage of this entire story and sort of just the culture that comes with these uh, scandals within professional wrestling fandom and the approach to it. Yeah, I had um, the, my last episode, as you mentioned, John, was really talking about kind of where wrestling media is. And I know we didn't, we talk a lot about, we talk mainly about mainstream media, media today, but the wrestling media obviously has a role to play in this um, as well, especially when ter- in terms of keeping this story on the, the, the minds of, of fans and things like that as more time goes by. Um, the wrestling media has a lot to offer. Um, just from like an institutional knowledge perspective, when it comes to analyzing these stories, um, so I think that's really important. Um, that was our last episode. I don't have an episode coming out this week. Um, I'm going to be traveling. I'm on vacation um, starting tomorrow. So I uh, have a little bit of a delay, but um, upcoming episodes looking at, I'm going to have a mailbag episode at some point uh, in the next couple of weeks. I'm also going to do an episode looking at New Japan Pro Wrestling and kind of where they're going. They're obviously in some difficult circumstances having lost, you know, Okada as well as Will Ospreay and kind of financially where that company looks like they're headed in, in 2024. Um, I also wrote an article for um, voicesofwrestling.com that uh, ran earlier this week. It was on um, looking at how this idea that AEW needs to have like a big star and the idea that AEW needs like to have like this Hulk Hogan, Steve Austin, John Cena, Roman Reigns, like top figure in their company is kind of a, a lesson that WWE has kind of taught to fans and whether or not that's a model that AEW should be trying to, to find. Um, but as it's being shared right now on our screens, um, you can check that out at voices of wrestling.com. Check out all of Jesse's fine work on his latest show as well. Uh, you can, you can hear about his thoughts on um, the media as a whole and Jesse's own issues with, television journalists when it comes to scrums as well not a fan is not all not all not all not all won't paintbrush but some yes so there you go check out all of that brandon you're back this sunday wrestlenomics radio yes Yes. i'm back i guess we Uh, we will get uh the unofficial elimination chamber post show from brandon thurston that's right yes i'm gonna have to i I will will be recording it after 5 a.m 
But when, when is that show going to end? It's going to be like a post show. Are, are you guys doing the post show at the same time, head to head with me? No, the, the show's Saturday and you're Sunday. Oh, it's Saturday. That's you're right. Okay. Yes. Right, we're we're going to be up at uh, noon Eastern on the, uh, the post channel, uh, chatting about Elimination Chamber and uh, whatever else happens. Maybe we'll, we may, if there's a press conference, I might, I might watch the press conference as well, which is something I, I don't always get a chance to do immediately after these shows. So that's uh, coming up this weekend. We can also uh, tell you our guest for next week. Brandon and I, we, we've got to get uh, on track here and start booking guests in advance. So we have been talking a lot about the, the Ring Boy scandal and the contrast to sort of the present day scandals WWE is going through. And I thought it'd be a real interesting person to chat with who was very heavy on the coverage back in the early 90s. And that is John Arezzi, uh, formerly of the Wrestling Spotlight radio show. He's written a book, Matt Memories, that is out there. And he was somebody that was like going to shows at the Garden when he was younger with Mel Phillips, like he was friends with him and then learning of like all these uh, horrific um, accounts of people's involvement with uh, Mel Phillips. So John Arezzi will be joining us uh, next Wednesday on the show. This, this is uh, if you've seen the the episode of the Phil Donahue show about the Ring Boy scandal, he is he is on the stage for that. Yes. So that can be everyone's homework. You can go read Matt Memories and watch the Phil Donahue show uh, over, over the next week. So I know many people have that favorited on their uh, their watch later list on YouTube. So you can go check that out. Jesse, thanks so much for uh, for joining us. It's uh, great to catch up with you. And we will be here next Wednesday, 3 p.m. Eastern time. It's Pollock and Thurston.